On the latest edition of the podcast, I speak with Dan Pellegrino, longtime Padres fan, and get his perspective on the acquisition of Juan Soto. Very special edition of the podcast. I welcome back an old friend, Dan Pellegrino, baseball player, entrepreneur, travel ball coach. You several man, the man wears many hats. I will point out that he was drafted by the San Francisco Giants in the 2010 Major League Draft, and he once, in a kind of a Lloyd Dobler way, had breakfast Buck with Buck Showalter. Buck didn't know he was having breakfast with Dan, but Dan certainly knew he was having breakfast with Buck Showalter. And whenever there's Padres news, the first guy I want to hear from, I'm trying to think, yeah, the first guy I want to hear from is Dan Pelgrino. Don't tell Tony Nix, by the way. But you are, you know, you're so passionate, and you played a little bit of the game, and I love that you're on Twitter talking about your Padres, and we'll get into, I guess something happened this week in San Diego, Dan, we'll get into that. But before we start, the passing of Vin Scully, and I know you were a Padre fan, so you grew up with Uncle Teddy and with Jerry Coleman. Um, I guess what I wanted to ask you, as somebody who played the game, somebody who's a fan of the game since you're eight years old, um, the intimacy of the relationship between the local team broadcaster and the fan. Now, Scully was kind of a national figure, but I think, you know, and he, I guess he arguably the best there ever was, but there's an intimacy for every fan base with the radio and TV broadcasters of their team. Bring me into it how you came into your love of baseball and who were the guys that you heard growing up watching the pods. Yeah, no question. There's a, a special intimacy there. And I, and just really quick on Vin Scully. I mean, what a, what a storied career changed in, in my opinion, changed the, the face of broadcasting and especially broadcasting baseball. I mean, everybody you talk to remembers listening to Vin Scully on their little transistor radios huddled around in in the kitchen, right? Uh, listening to him call games, and I can still hear his his voice right now. I mean, uh, incredible mark he made on the game. So, uh, but growing up, uh, Uncle Teddy, I would say, Ted Leitner, uh, now just does San Diego State football, San Diego State basketball. He's moved on from the Padres. Um, but, you know, remembering his, the, the way that he described uh, would, would describe the game. You could almost see it on, on TV. And then the other one, his, his longtime partner and, uh, and rest in peace, Jerry Coleman. If you remember Jerry Coleman, right? They hang a star on that baby. That's where it came from. So every time there's a great play at Petco park, they still put Tony Gwynn jr. Will, will wave the star around out of the media booth. And that's a tribute to uh, good old Jerry Coleman there, who was a, uh, just a, a legend in the booth. So it was Jerry Coleman and and Uncle Teddy uh, for a long, long time there. So, Daniel, strange things happening down on the gas lamp. So fade in, fade out about a dozen years ago, okay? All we were hearing from the Padres was, you know, it's hard to compete in San Diego. We got, you know, we got the Dodgers spending a lot of money, we got the Angels spending a lot of money. We got the Diamondbacks even spending a bunch of money. We can't spend as much money as these teams. You know, they got the taxpayer subsidized stadium. So I know a lot of people in San Diego were chafing about that. San Diego is a top 30 market, you know, and it's kind of a market unto itself with a lot of 
unusual and unique opportunities for professional sports teams. Um, what happened? Is it as simple as the ownership or were there other factors in the community? Because now, and we'll get into, you know, we'll get into the elephant in the room, but the Padres no longer, Dan, seem to be reluctant to spend that money. It's incredible the transformation that's happened. Uh, I think it's a lot of factors. You mentioned you mentioned a lot of them, right? It, it was the building of Petco Park, and this has been a long time coming for this organization. I mean, we've always been known as one of the you know one of the organizations with lesser payrolls. I've always been in the bottom half of payroll in in Major League Baseball, and as you know all too well, it's hard to compete when you're not paying players and you you don't you just don't have the best players you don't have access to the best players on your team so um you know it's it was a i would say a perfect storm of a lot of things right they built petco park i think they moved in in 2003 it's still today you know being upgraded and they just do a phenomenal job i don't know how many games you've been at to petco but i mean what an atmosphere uh it's it's was just just in this last uh, ballpark rankings in America, it was ranked again as number one. I mean, it's been number one on that list multiple times year over year. Um, the the way that the ballpark, you, you really should go look up a before and after picture of what downtown used to look like versus what it looks I, like. No, I know. I, I used to intern downtown, so I know. Oh man, it just desolate industrial park. Uh, I mean, you could run it over with the bulldozer. It looked like the Sahara Desert. So it was, uh, it's, it's, you know, new restaurants. The gas lamp was always something historic that has been there for a long time, but it's grown and there's high rises up, uh, beautiful buildings, uh, so much to do, breweries, all sorts of, all sorts of things going on down there. And it's just revitalized the, the downtown community. So uh, so that was part of it. Right. But also, like you mentioned, ownership for the first time since John Morris in the late 90s, we have an ownership, an owner and an ownership group. Right. Peter Seidler and, and Ron Fowler who want to win. And that's really all they care about. Right. Uh, part of what made the, the space so available in the San Diego market, too, is the Chargers leaving. So they're the only game in town. Right. Um, and it's always been, you know, San Diego has always been known as fair weather fans, but, uh, I, I, I think that that kind of goes for any, any town in the, the United States. If you put a winning product and a good product on the field, they're going to, fans are going to go see it. That's the bottom line. So, uh, when, when, um, when AJ uh, Preller first became GM, you know, I think it was 2015, he became he, he it was a big splash, right? He got Justin Upton, he got Matt Kemp, and everybody was it was James Shields, and everybody was all excited, and it didn't quite work out uh, in our favor. We ended the year under 500, collapsed in the second half, and it is what it is. But people were excited for the first time in over a decade for Padres baseball, right? And that was kind of the start of the momentum. Uh, but Ron Seidler, uh, I'm I'm sorry. Uh, Mr. Seidler and, and Ron Fowler both are just committed to winning. And they showed that with, we'll get into the players here, but the, the very first signing of that was the long-term deal to Will Myers. I think it was four years for 80 million. He's in the last year of his deal now. And then the big, the bigger signing after that came Hosmer and then all the other chips 
fell in place after that. So, to me, the Archimedean point for the Padres, Dan, was Machado. Um, A, because the ownership signed the check, right? Uh, this was a guy who was getting flirtations from all the big teams. All the big teams wanted him, and he ended up in San Diego. And by the way, you mentioned Ron Fowler. Let's shout out Ron Fowler, because not only does he spend money with the Padres, he's donated money for Tony Gwynn Stadium at San Diego State, and he funded the USD ballpark. Uh, Fowler Ballpark. It's called Fowler Ballpark, which is a wonderful place to go see a game if you haven't seen a game there yet. Um, and, and and you're 100% right, is that, uh, and you, I know we talked when Machado came, you were excited when he came, because to me that brought credibility that a player of that stature, if a player of that stature is going to go sign and play with the Padres, that means other people will come. And, you know, I, I guess now in the United States, Dan, every every area, every major metropolitan area has kind of a Latino neighborhood or a Latino part of the city, you know. But I just think that Machado coming to San Diego really got something going, got fire up in, in, in people's bellies just in terms of the fans, in terms of the businesses, and in terms of the community that we really – I mean, you, you can speak to that more than I. You grew up there. Had there ever been that kind of a buzz for a player before Manny Machado? Never. Never. Ne- not in my lifetime, at least. And uh, I – what an exciting that, that was to me the maybe the second most exciting moment in my 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 lifetime in Padres history I would say is is when we signed Machado like you said I you know I hadn't even considered how he connects with the the Latino and Hispanic community um, and you know as you know being so close to the border it, it's such an important part of. Sandy, the fabric and the history of San Diego, right? And we, and with a large Hispanic population, um, that that's a, it's just a big piece of the market. So it, it's really it, important it, it, to connect with those guys. Yeah. So somebody pointed this out to me. This is not my idea. It works both ways, right? Of course, you know, LA's, you know, Fernando Valenzuela is obviously the biggest example, but the right. fans are happy to see him. But a guy like Machado, even though he's not Mexican per se, he speaks the language. There are places he can go to go hang out and get food and whatnot. Wouldn't have to worry about perhaps, you know, being followed in there by, you know, paparazzi or whatever. He can kind of have his privacy kind of in that in that part of town if he wants to do that. Um, but he's also produced. And then uh, second factor was Fernando Tatis Jr. Uh, coming over to the, to the Padres. And all of a sudden they're exciting. All of a sudden they're marketing these stars, these young stars. And they're talking trash with the Dodgers and the Giants and whatnot, getting some good-natured rivalry going. And, all right, so the big albatross, uh, Dan, uh, Juan Soto is a Padre. And we tweeted a little bit on Tuesday. I think at the time you were a little giddy because you weren't sure it was going to be true. And the Padres have had a little bit of heartbreak in the history of their franchise. So I don't think you wanted to believe it till it was true. Well, it is – I was tweeted at you. I said, Dan, it's happening. It's true. You <laughs> have with the Padres, the best young player in Major League Baseball, made his debut yesterday. How does it feel? Lifelong Padre fan. They went out and they, they paid a premium, but Juan Soto is going to be playing for the next foreseeable for the next few foreseeable years uh, in the friendly confines of Petco Park. Uh, it's it's still surreal to me. I still can't even almost believe that that it happened. Uh, it's it's funny. I got to read you. Uh, uh, Ryan Platt actually texted me this morning with a screenshot okay. of my Twitter. Okay, and my last uh-huh. 
my last my last three tweets my last three <laughs> tweets were uh okay uh end of end of july the most pathetic 205 million dollar payroll in the history of baseball zero pen zero offense what a complete joke your time's up aj one week later oh. please tell me this is happening and then today baseball's so fun i love this team what a roller coaster <laughs> of emotions <laughs> That, that that's a fan, right? That that's that's little nine-year-old Dan Pellegrino sitting in the stands when the Braves and the Padres are playing. You're watching Gwyn and you're watching Trevor, and now all of a sudden you got another superstar there. Um, I mean, the other side of the deal, I, I you know, you look at the Nationals who did win the World Series in 2019. Okay, think about the talent that's flown out of there, right? So Bryce Harper left before they won. I mean, he left in eight, 17 or 18. Yep. Then since the World Series, you know, Rendon's out of there, Max Scherzer's out of there, Trey Turner out of now Soto, and I, I mean, listen, it's a business decision, but I'm wondering, you got a 23 year old player who's not eligible for true free agency until 2025, arbitration eligible next year. Like, it, I mean, I, I don't want. I'm gonna. It's gonna sound really harsh, Dan. So I apologize, but if you're a major league owner that doesn't want to pay Juan Soto, why do you own a baseball team? That, well, that's exactly right. And uh, the reports are, I think it's the Lerner family uh, yeah. that owns that Nats. The reports are that they want to sell uh, is what I'm hearing. So, I mean, it, you know, I, I have heard that this is, this may go down and, and very well may be the biggest deal for the biggest superstar at this age uh, in baseball history. Uh, so it's, it's pretty incredible. I mean, I mean, unique opportunity and we sold the farm to do it and, and I'm, I can't, we get two and a half years of them now, which is great. So it's not just a short-term rental. Dan, you're a catcher. Um, our, our mutual friend, Doug Smith, longtime head coach at, at UC Riverside baseball coach and longtime assistant there. I think he was with the, I think he was with the team somewhat th- close to 30 years. I mean, I throw his playing days in. He always told me that catchers are a better brand of people. Um, <laughs> you're a catcher, and your pitcher is facing Juan Soto. W- what are the points of concern when you pitch to a guy like that? Or how do you pitch don't, to a guy like that? Don't throw it near the zone. Uh, I, I think, I mean, he's the guy that you go into a series and you say, okay, who can we not let beat us? Like he's, he's going to be the, the top of everybody's list. Right. So in any big leverage situation or any leverage situation where he can do some damage, I mean, you're better off putting him on. We haven't seen a more feared hitter. And obviously I've been watching him even much closer the last two days, but we haven't seen a more feared hitter with the type of eye that he has and type of knowledge of the strike zone uh, since Barry Bonds. I mean, if you remember yeah. Barry Bonds in his prime, there you could legitimately see pitchers hanging on to the ball, like just guiding it in there, just not wanting wanting so bad to not make a mistake because if he did, he would punish you and and would do it consistently. So um, that, that's that's Juan Soto right now. Soto doesn't turn 24 till after the season. He'll be 24 on October 25th. Okay. Which means he won't turn 25 till next after next year. I'm going to give you a list. So right now he has 119 career home runs. You figure two months, 
maybe another does ten to a dozen. So he'll end the year with around 130 homers. And right. then if he gets 40 next year, it'll be about what 170. So he's between 160 170. Let me. I'm going to read you a list of the players with the most home runs before they turn 25. And Juan Soto will not turn 25 till after next season. So he's in. The, he'll be in. You know, he gets in this. Here are the names. Okay. Okay. Yep. Eddie, Eddie Matthews, Brave Hall of Famer. Yep. Alex Rodriguez, not in the Hall of Fame. Mel Ott, in the Hall of Fame. Jimmy Fox, in the Hall of Fame. Mickey Charles Mantle, in the Hall of Fame. And a guy you may have seen play, Daniel, Jr., Ken Griffey Jr. Those are the guys who he will be in, in the realm with. So I think Griffey had 172 before his 25th birthday. If he hits 10 more homers this year, it'll be 129, and he goes 35 next year. It'll be 164, so he'll slot in right behind Griffey. That's pretty impressive company. Incredible. Uh, Ken Griffey Jr., you know, I mostly remember him towards the end of his career when he was aging and obviously battled significant injuries the second half of his career. Uh, but I, I think when you look back at one of the just supreme talents, someone that was put on the put on the planet to play the game of baseball, it was Ken Griffey Jr. I mean, the the smile, the swing, the you know, the swagger, everything. He had it all. So uh, I mean, he I he, he uh, Griffey, but Griffey and among there were other players with him, obviously, but he revitalized baseball in Seattle. That team was going to move. That team was going to be out of there, and then all of a sudden, so maybe Soto can do the same thing. Here's the other. Jason Stark wrote a great piece on Soto today. Okay, yep. first of all, and I, I didn't know this. I mean, I watch good good amount of baseball. I'm more of an American League guy, but I didn't realize more walks than strikeouts. So I think it's like 446 to 414. I think he's played like 500 some games in his career. That's impressive. So here's an impressive. Are there any active? Sorry to interrupt. Are there any active players now that have more walks than strikeouts with a significant yeah. number of at bats? Not with the. I don't think with the number of home runs Soto has. Not off the top of my head. I mean, the guy they always talk about is Tony Gwynn. It's Tony Gwynn, yeah. right? But Tony Gwynn hitting thirty home runs. Here's the other number that Stark was talking about. So I think the all-time other San Diego guy, the all-time uh, major league on base percentage is Ted. I think Ted Williams is around four eighty. Okay. Soto at this stage of his career is at 427. Okay, the the comp was the DiMaggio because DiMaggio remember didn't strike out a lot either. I think he had 361 career home runs and 369 strikeouts, or it might be reversed, something like that. So Joe DiMaggio had a career on base percentage at 398. It's not 481, but it's still pretty impressive. Juan Soto right now his on base percentage is 427. Dan. He, I don't know. I make a mistake guy you are, but this this just jumped out at me. He could go, oh for his next 167 at bats and still be ahead of DiMaggio on base percentage wise. Holy cow! I mean, Isn't that wild. Yeah, it, wild. wild. The, the, the more you dig into the numbers, the more impressive it gets. It it, it truly is. I mean, the, this is a, a uh, once in a once in a century type talent. Um, and the names got him for his best years here. Starks, the, the names in Starks article get coming up were Tony Gwynn. I mean, they're all Padre guys, right? Tony Gwynn, Dave Winfield, McGriff, who was a Padre for a little bit, Williams, who grew up in San Diego, and then I mentioned DiMaggio already. Um, right. So here we go now. Uh, the Padres expanded playoffs, which I know you, you don't like, but now that your team's going to, you know, in, in the mix here, I mean, they're looking to peak and gel at the right time, and this obviously helps them do that. You watch this team every game, Dan. 
What does he do for this lineup? And I, I know that there's no Tatis yet. When Tatis comes back, what happens with this lineup and with this team? It it just adds to the embarrassment of riches. I mean, a Soto plugging a guy like Soto in the middle of the lineup makes everybody around him better. And as good as Soto is by himself, I think that the impact that he makes on the other guys is just as important. Cronenworth's getting pitches to hit. Machado's getting pitches to hit. I mean, you can't really pitch around Soto because there's Josh Bell, right? It's yeah. it, it just keeps coming and coming. And, uh, you know, he had a great sense of humor in his uh, press conference the other, yesterday when they when AJ introduced him. Um, it was at 1.30 Pacific time. Soto and Josh Bell had a press conference, uh, you know, introducing him to the city of San Diego, this and that. And uh, he, he, you know, he's jokingly saying it, but not really jokingly. Like he feels bad for the rest of the the pitchers in the, in the league that have to face this lineup. So when and when Tatis comes back, that's just one more weapon. So I, I think that uh, it'll it's a lot of pressure off of Manny and what Manny's done this year to date to hold this team. Uh, we'd be under 500 without him. We'd be out of the playoff hunt. I mean, he to me, he's the he's the NL MVP. I know uh, there are others who who will get votes. Austin Riley, Pete Alonzo, right? But t- in terms of most important players uh, holding a team season together, it, it t- Manny's the the choice for me. So here's the other wrinkle, wrinkle two, and maybe we call this the mastodon mastodon in the room. Padres greatly improved, but the team in your division. Los Angeles Dodgers, best record in baseball, and they don't look to be slowing down uh, in any way, shape, or form. And potentially, this could be, maybe not for the division, Dan, but is this maybe an ALDS a series down the road that this team, meaning the San Diego squad, is ready for? We clearly weren't ready. We're not ready a year ago. Um, the, the difference between this team uh, you know, you can talk about all the offensive weapons and the upgrades, right? But and the lineup is stacked. The difference between this team and and the team a year ago is we were just happy to get to the playoffs, right? Or I'm sorry, it would be 2020, two years ago, right? We were just we were just happy to get to the playoffs. We were happy to be there, um, and then we got swept by the Dodgers, right? So uh, this team's got some more experience now, uh, and the biggest difference is the starting pitching. The depth of the starting pitching on this team is considerably better than that team that squeaked out the wild card, uh, you know, series against the Cardinals and then got swept by the Dodgers and looked like they didn't even belong. Right. So uh, there's something special about this team. You can feel it. Uh, Bullpen assessment. I've read some of your tweets, Dan. Give me, give me, you know, you're a catcher, so I actually trust you on this stuff. Give me an assessment. Is the Padres bullpen as it's presently constituted? Can this, can they bridge for not only one playoff series? You're going to have to bridge for two to be able to get to the uh, NLCS. It's going to be really tough. If you looked at the bullpen in a silo right now, much improved. Bringing in a, an elite arm like Josh Hader instantly improves the bullpen because everybody moves down a slot. The guy that was throwing in the ninth will now throw in the eighth. The guy that was throwing the eighth will now throw in the seventh. Well, we traded Taylor Rogers. So, you know, uh, we slot, we, we slot, uh, 
Hader right into the ninth. Garcia has been throwing really well in the eighth. But if you looked at this bullpen in a silo, this it's not a championship level bullpen. The the only saving grace I think that we do have is like I mentioned the depth of our starting pitching. You only need three starters in the playoffs, maybe four, right? So at least for those early series, the five three in the five game series, you're you're throwing three starters and two of your starters, your other two starters who are quality arms will throw out of the bullpen. So they may be asked to provide a different role and that will add some much needed depth to the bullpen. Uh, you know, you figure between Musgrove, Blake Snell is throwing much better as much as I hate to admit it. He's thrown much better in his last, you know, five or six starts. So between Musgrove, Darvish, Snell and Clevenger, well, only three of them will throw, so one of them's going to be asked to, to take on a different role, and that's a that's a nice arm to have out that that can come out of the bullpen and and uh, contribute. Um, assess. I know. I know you have a love hate relationship with the general manager of the Padres. Assess what he's been able to do. Um, you know, you're playing. I mean, I don't think it's insignificant, Dan. The Padres have played the season without Fernando Tatis Jr. and they've still managed to stay afloat. And now you add Juan Soto, and now it's kind of all engines ahead. Um, assess assess the job AJ Prowler has done. I think he, being a young GM, right? In like I like we mentioned earlier, he came in and made a big splash in 2015. He's known as a gunslinger. Um, I think it's still it's been a learning process for him, and he learned. A lot from last year's collapse, also, right? We had an inexperienced manager. We had a pitching staff, a starting pitching staff that was way too thin. Um, and also, he understands, I think, now more than ever, which it seemed like he had lost the bubble on last year, that clubhouse chemistry is a huge deal. And that's not something that you can measure in statistics, advanced analytics. It doesn't show up on paper, but just the, the feeling and the, the uh, you know, intent and just showing up to the yard every day, expecting to win. Um, everybody pulling in the same direction that you, you can't quantify it, but this team's got that last year's team did not um, even without Tatis. So, so there's a, there's a new energy this year. And part of it is because AJ has brought in guys that fit that mold. Dan, a couple of years ago, the series in the in the COVID shortened year, you know, for whatever you think, and I think you and I both kind of agreed that you know diluting the playoffs is not the way to go. But it was exciting. It was an exciting run when those teams all got in the playoffs and went, particularly in San Diego. Did the Padres maybe make some fans or bring back some fans because of that exciting run, and, and and could that help them if they're able to get to the postseason this year, where people, you know, now they've experienced it, they have an expectation. And you go see him once, you're like, okay, I got to go back now because the the postseason in Major League Baseball, and I, I'll fight anybody, any other sport. It is such a showcase for talent. Um, and when you get a guy like a Machado, when you get a guy like a Tatis, and now you have Juan Soto, you know, who did it once with the with the Nationals. When you showcase those guys in October, there's just a level of intensity that I, to me is just unmatched in any other sport. It's it's electric. Uh, October baseball, there's nothing better. So getting a taste of that in 2020, the fans, I think, for so long, it was, it, I mean, it was since 98 that we had been to the World Series. And I want to 
say that we had been to the playoffs maybe one, maybe two other times since, three other times maybe in, in the matter of 22 years. That's a long time for fans to wait. And, and people forget how fun it is to be a part of something special like that. And getting a taste of it in 2020 definitely reinvigorated uh, some energy and you know, just watching watching these guys every day, every home game that they play is essentially a sellout, right? There's there's it's special. Uh, it's a special park. It's a special place to play, and it's a special community. And and lo and behold, the fans are showing up because we have a winning product right now. I remember when Pujols first came to the Angels, and it was Trout and Pujols. I remember going out to Anaheim Stadium or Angel Stadium, whatever they call it now, and. And there's, there's like a palpable buzz when either of those guys hit. It still is. I, I went and saw I saw the Angels against the Mets. I saw Otani, and, and it's the same deal, right? Whenever mm-hmm. Otani steps up or whenever Trout steps up, there's a real buzz. And, and, and I have a feeling that with Soto, it's going to be the same thing uh, with the Padres. Just such an incredibly talented player at such a young age who, you know, ideally, you know, all things, you know, go proceeding without without incident. Um long and storied career, a guy like him, you know, you'll be able to watch him kind of grow into, you know, that next level of superstar, hopefully for you guys at, at Petco Park. Um, now what's, so are you a guy who goes to a lot of games? You kind of pick, you pick your spots. I'm guessing the fact that you got number 22, that you may reach into the pocket a little bit more and maybe, maybe go to a couple of more games than you normally go to. Correct. Not correct. Correct. I would say so. Uh, I'd probably make it to four or five games in person a year. Uh, uh-huh. I mean, I love I love watching at the most comfortable seat in the house on my couch with, a, you know, a free beer and uh, <laughs> a, you know, 75 inch TV. So right. uh, that's pretty hard to pass up. But actually, as soon as the at like 305 p.m. on Tuesday Pacific time, uh, my <laughs> wife, she's so great. She goes and buys tickets for Monday night. Uh, so we're going beautiful. Monday night to see the new squad. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. Uh, yeah, no, I, I you know, to, to be able to watch a guy like that, it's great. You know, people always talk about young people not getting into baseball. Well, if you can take your eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 year old to watch Juan Soto, I think that's a reason people in San Diego have to, to get out to the ballpark and support the Padres. And I, I'll leave you with this. We'll I'll cl- wrap it up with this. I'm going to give you the final word here, but I remember I was talking some years ago to t- Craig Elston, who I worked with many years ago. Great guy. Yeah, if, you, if you've if you got his Crossing Streams uh, podcast, which is excellent if you don't subscribe to it. And he's still, he gets out to the yard every once in a while now. Um, the the signature athletes in San Diego at the time were Tony Gwynn, obviously, and Junior Sale. And you know, San Diego, really, they had, they had the two teams for so long, and now they don't have the, 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 the Chargers anymore. Um could, I mean, could a Tatis, could a Soto, could a Machado, obviously, if you win, if you get to a World Series even, both, all their stature kind of maybe shoots up, especially now that the Padres are only the only game in town. Sorry, repeat that last part. You broke up just a does, uh, does Does the status of Soto, you know, Tatis, Machado, and uh, does, does it elevate now because really, the Padres—that's the team for the, your city. They're really the only game in town. I don't want to slight, you know, San Diego State, who's doing a great job as well. Uh, and I, you know, shout the Big West. You see, San Diego's Division One now. Woohoo! Yeah. But, uh, yeah. but is there? You know, we talked about the intimacy before with the Vin Scully and talking about Uncle Teddy and Jerry Coleman. Is there more of an intimacy for the city with the Padres now because they've lost the Chargers? 
I think so. I think so. And you mentioned the the special connection that the city had to both Junior Seau and Tony Gwynn. And that's that's what I knew growing up as professional sports in San Diego. Right. And why I became such a huge fan, even in my adult years. So folks that grew up with them, connecting with them, definitely. But the, the first really dynamic personality, I'll call it, that that San Diego can connect with like that is Tatis. And actually, Major League Baseball, as, as difficult of a time as they have on the marketing front, have actually, in my opinion, done a really good job marketing Fernando. I mean, just his energy, his smile, he's bouncing around. You can tell he he's genuinely loves the he's game. He's got that commercial now, right? The eight, was it Dairy Queen? He's doing that Dairy Queen commercial yeah, now. Dairy Queen commercial. Uh, you know, he's on the cover of MLB The Show with the bat flips and the whole deal. So uh, San Diego can really connect with him. And it's it's been – I don't want to leave Machado out of this too because it's been amazing to have – watched him every day and lived through, I mean, really his growing up. He's he's grown up and become a clubhouse leader, a team leader, a community leader, and someone that we genuinely enjoy getting behind and genuinely can root for now. Um, known as, you know, what was known as in his younger years as a quote-unquote dirty player, and every now and then there'd be a controversial thing. The only thing out of his mouth now is, I want to win. And what can I do to help the team win? Right. So it's been really cool to see that evolution and just the combination of having those two guys for the next decade in San Diego that they will. The people growing up right now, the nine year olds in the seats right now, connect with those two and will associate San Diego baseball, San Diego professional sports with with those two personalities. So it's pretty special to have both of them. Before we go, Dan, I want to bridge the gap with you and the general manager of the Padres. And I know you've said some things you regret. So I'm going to send this message out to Mr. Preller. Dan Pellegrino is willing to put Juan Soto up at his house. He will drive him to the ballpark every day and we'll, 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 we'll negotiate a piece. It'll be my Nixon in China moment. We'll negotiate the piece between Dan Pellegrino and the Padres general manager um, to, to make that happen. And I don't know what, you know what he likes. You may want to go grocery shopping and see what Juan Soto likes to have in the fridge. But uh, again, Dan, always great to talk to you. Thanks again. Give me your final thoughts. This is big. You're a lifelong Padres fan. Some are saying this could be the biggest deal of at least, you know, this generation to bring a star of this stature to the Padres. Put it all in perspective for me as a baseball guy that you are. I I said it at three o'clock on Tuesday uh, and I said it yesterday and I'll say it again. Tuesday was the biggest day in San Diego Padres franchise history. Um, bringing in the, the names that we brought in. And I'm really just trying to soak in every single second I can of watching this lineup together uh, because it's, it, it's, it's going to be something fun to watch here for the last, you know, 55 games or so, and hopefully a deep run into the playoffs, but it's, it's true. It's true baseball. And the, the first time in my memory that the Padres have had a fearsome lineup and, and our legitimate world series contenders. So, Pretty pretty fun on a night-in, night-out basis. I felt like, so there's a native son of San Diego named Bill Walton, and I had a chance to work with Bill Walton once. We bumped into each other at a gym, and I had to ask him, I said, Bill, I've heard all the stories about you and Coach Wooden, about you not wanting to get your hair cut and him making you get your hair cut. Are they true? And he looked at me and he said, they're all true. They're all true. So <laughs> hopefully we'll get 
those truths to you, and you'll get to see the truth when you and the wife go out. And great job by the wife, by the way. Shout out to her for getting those tickets, and you'll be true product on Monday uh, at Petco Park. I'm excited for you. I'm going to try to get down there before the end of the season, but uh, all kinds of reasons now, in addition to what we already had seen, you know, the Padres had kind of become kind of the it team a couple of years ago, much to the chagrin of some other franchises in Southern California. But as you know, it's business, Dan. You got to win for anybody to really take notice. But uh, Juan Soto, a Padre, and I, I love the excitement from you, Dan. I'm happy for you. Have fun on Monday. Sure will. And, uh, you know, just really looking forward to watching these guys on a night in, night out basis and uh, breaking it down as much as I can. So uh, hoping for a deep playoff run. That's the great Dan Pellegrino. He is the biggest Padres fan I know. He's been living and dying with the team since 1989, the day he was born. And he's played a little uh, professional baseball as well. Great catcher when I was covering him at uh, UC Riverside. Well, hey, best to you and the family. Enjoy the game on Monday and go Pods. All right. Go Pods. Thanks, Gazal.